Hello, friends, and welcome to the Optimized Advisor Podcast, where we focus on optimizing the well-being and best practices of insurance and financial professionals today. On this show, our objective is to help you optimize your life, optimize your profession, and learn from other optimized advisors. I'm your host, Scott Heinela. We hope you enjoy the show. Sincerely, thank you for joining us here on the Optimized yeah. Advisor podcast and taking a little bit of time for us. Sure. You and I were introduced through a good friend of mine and one of our uh, advisors in Bart Sandbergen. You yep. were also on his podcast, which I listened to that and you guys got into some great conversation. I'd love to to revisit some of those talking points sure. and we'll see where it goes. Ours is a little bit different in the sense that our target audience, if you will, our listeners at large are going to be those who are advisors themselves or insurance professionals. Yep. And so if we could also give give our audience as we as we talk through this conversation today, um, some some areas that they can be aware of in working with their clients and optimizing their life and optimizing their practice. That's what this is yep. all about. Yep. Deal. So, so before before we do that, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what it is that you find yourself doing these days in your busy life. Sure. Uh, thanks. So uh, appreciate the chance to be here. So um, kind of do a, wear a couple different hats. Uh, one of the main ones I wear is executive coach, uh, leadership development uh, fan. So working with teams, both financial professionals and other industries around um, the U.S. and the world on how to maximize our abilities or grow our growth, improve relationships uh, with clients and team members. Um, so I've been doing that about 20 years. I'm also in the Navy Reserves. I'm an intelligence officer going on 16 years uh, in the Navy Intel world and love doing that. Uh, and then I'm a, a pastor. I'm a police chaplain and a Presbyterian minister and uh, have been that for, gosh, about 12 years. Wow. Um, Danielle didn't know this saying until she knew me and it's the, there's no grass growing under your feet. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what it's, it's for some reason, Scott, I don't know if it's just kind of how I, I'm wired or my parents, my dad was someone who loved, had a lot of passions um, but I just always loved doing a couple different things at once and had curiosities around different areas. And so, uh, you know, at a young age, I saw people who were doing a couple different things at once. I said to myself, Hey, maybe, you know, I could do a couple things at, at once. And so I guess that's what I've done, uh, for better or worse. So do you find yourself in, in, in these different capacities that you have or skill sets and, and practices that you're building and building up? The question, I guess, is, do, are you spinning all these plates kind of simultaneously or do you find that, no, 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 I'm, I'm enamored, I'm all in, I'm invested in this chapter, I want to progress in this capacity and you, you become focused and, and isolated in that for a time period and then it's like, okay, nope, uh, opportunity presents itself, uh, something in my ancillary world brings it to light and I'm going to go down this new path. How, how has that evolved? Yeah, I, I guess the, the, the term that kind of, I don't know, that I kind of use is micro compartmentalizing, micro compartmentalizing. So in the Navy, there's different classification levels. So um, you can have various classification levels. One of the highest um, is one that I have, which is called SCI, which stands for sensitive compartmented information, SCI. What that means is basically 
the Navy or whatever agency you work for allows you deep access into a certain uh, area. Uh, you don't have access to entire pie, but you have deep access into one area uh, and understanding that one area. In my life, um, as I kind of do these different things, I, I find what works best for me is having deep engagement in one area, even just, and by micro uh, compartmentalizing, I mean, just for maybe an hour or two at that moment in the day. Mm. And it's very deep. It's very focused in that area. And I don't really think about the other piece that, that, that is also part of my life at the time. That allows me, and I guess when I'm doing that, I really don't worry about the other pieces. And, and inevitably in my life, there are times where I'm behind in one area or ahead on one area and have something going on that I need to address. But I really don't spend much time being distracted by it. I dig into the, to that one piece. I finish that small component of that piece that I want to do. And then I move uh, to the next piece. Um, and then the, the last kind of connector, I think, with that for me is at a high level, try to draw the threads together of all the other pieces. So when I'm working in one area and I find an interest or a, a, a learning that could be helpful in the area, another area, kind of make a note of that. And, and I get back to that to add to that other area at some point. So in that, obviously, there's some real decision making that is going on in this you know, in, in your life. And and so let's just kind of transition a little bit to the decision-making process. And we could unpack this in many ways, advisors working with their clients and helping them make significant life decisions as it relates to the financial planning process. But then you also have the financial advisors in, in running their practice and being faced with really, really challenging business owner, entrepreneurial decisions in how I want to scale, where I want to scale, who I want to work with. So let's just talk a little bit about some of the things that you help your clients uh, in that decision-making process and helping them really understand um, what's going on in the brain. Yeah, so I think it's really helpful to understand cognitively how we function, how we make decisions. Bottom line from a high level, there's two parts of our brain that affect decision-making, the neocortex and the, and the limbic system. Neocortex is more our executive functioning, strategic thinking, pros, cons, analysis, and so forth. The limbic system is more reactive, emotional, uh, fight or flight uh, part of our brain. Those two operate in very different uh, ways. So the limbic system, very good at survival, very good at kind of split second um, kind of life or death scenarios. It also has some significant advantages over the neocortex. So limbic, it's bigger. Uh, it's been around longer from an evolutionary standpoint. Uh, it gets information first before the neocortex. So there's all these advantages because uh, thousands of years ago, far more important for us to figure out, is this thing going to eat me or can I eat it? So today, for today's financial advisor, or financial professional, we are wired limbically. Our clients are wired limbically. One of the key areas I think for advisors to really understand is that limbic triggering that clients have and how it's so important for advisors. If you ultimately want to build long-term trusting relationships and retain clients and, and grow your practice, you've got to really attack the limbic drivers that affect clients and how they view things and address those concerns and those deep-seated fears, thus allowing for the increase in trust. If we don't do that, they are susceptible to others who can address those fears, even if it's in a, a short-term fashion. 
So in that regard, I, I, I meet a new person, right? A new potential client. What are some things that I can do preferably like instantly or instantaneous yep. or in a very quick fashion to help move that along? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll give you a quick example and give you some suggestions. So if you look at political advertisements, right, for campaigns and so forth, what are we normally see in those ads? Normally you see people, a, a candidate expressing the world will come to an end if you elect this person and, and how bad that person might be because they have a short period of time to engage with you and they want to engage the limbic and the concerns. inciting fear, right? Inciting. It's fear. almost like clickbait a little bit, but yes. from a visual perspective, oh gosh. Fear is such a powerful motivator. That's why we see news leading. If it bleeds, it leads, right? That's why, it's because that connects us because that taps into the limbic around our survival and we're most concerned about survival before we start thinking about basis points and so forth. So engaging with clients, I tackle the fear head on. When I'm talking with advisors and their teams, address the fear head on. That client or that prospect might not even know what the fear is. So give them the opportunity to explore what fears they might have. It sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but hey, uh, Mrs. Client, great, or Mrs. Prospect, great meeting you. You know, love to share with you some of what we offer. And one of the things, especially now, Ms. Client, there's a lot of concerns that many of my clients have. There's concerns in the marketplace and broader from an economic standpoint. And here are some of the concerns that, that I see with my clients and just want to see, do any of those resonate with you? Any of those things kind of keep you up at night, Ms. Client, Ms. Prospect? That is then the engagement point, how you can help address, allay, mitigate those fears. If you can do that, you're on the road path to success. You know, it's interesting because we, we, we have access to all kinds of studies and surveys and, and uh, both in the insurance world as well as the investment world. And there's this predominant undertone with clients today in trust. And they want to find an advisor and have the, the relationship with the advisor that they can truly, quote unquote, trust. And then you, you ask the question, okay, well, what does trust mean? for the client advisor relationship and how do you embody trust and what, what is the quickest path to let's just presume that I'm a trustworthy person, right? I'm a boy scout. Um, I do all the right things. I live life in a good, clean manner, respectful way and all that. And, but yet how do I impress upon this person that I, I am not just saying that, so to speak, like, I need you to really understand and to, to appreciate the fact that I am a trustworthy person and that I'm somebody that you can trust. Yeah. 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 And, and here's the piece with trust. It's not easy. It's not easy. No. And let's look at time, Scott, in our lives or in the world when trust is built. So for me, one of the assessments around who do I really trust is when things are bad, for me, when it's tough, who's there with me? Is that fair? Who's with you in the tough times? Mm -hmm. Or when you aren't always winning, who's going to actually still get your back? That's one of the tests for trust. Additionally, when in military organizations, when we have boot camp or for SEALs, uh, BUDS, basically underwater demolition school, mm -hmm. one of the pieces there is to see how can you create a level of trust and alignment around people who don't know each other in a short period of time. 
as a financial professional, what we want to do is show that in these difficult times, I, the, your financial professional, am going to be there for you. So how can we showcase that? Well, one of the best ways to do that is go into the dark and go into the fear and go into the concerns and saying how we are going to walk through with them some of these deepest challenges and then start walking the walk. Yeah. Uh, so what you're saying there is I'm going to give you a specific example of what this journey looks like, what this path of being a client of ours looks like. And, and hopefully in that discussion, right, you're laying in what a trustworthy, you know, truly foundational relationship and partnership could look like. Exactly. And the research on trust shows this, that when one people are constantly evaluating whether to trust you or not, even your longest term relationship. So the client you've had for the most number of years, that person, believe it or not, still evaluates whether it's conscious, they're conscious of it or not, whether they trust you or not. The same thing is true for significant others, children, and so forth. Secondly, people start evaluating whether to trust you or not from the beginning, from the moment they meet you. So if trust is, is assessed continually, never stops, and it begins from the moment you interact with people, you got to understand how do people evaluate whether to trust you or not. And it's based on two components is what the research all boils down to. First component, expertise, meaning has been knowledgeable, does Ben understand the industry product and so forth. And the second main component of trust, do I trust Ben, is empathy. Empathy meaning, does Ben get what I'm going through? Does he understand the fears, concerns, hopes, dreams, so forth uh, that I have? Out of those two, people, over 90% of people place a greater emphasis on empathy. So you can have all the expertise in the world, offer all the products and amazing services. If you don't have empathy, the trust score will, will begin to slide. So you've got to empathize. And the most powerful way to empathize is acknowledging and talking through the greatest fears they have and showing you get it, you're with them, and here's how you're going to help them get to that retirement that they're hoping for. So all of this is good when things are going good. How do those things become strained or challenged when we apply real stress? Uh, and we see that people, some, you know, just some people handle stress better than others. They handle it and process it in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about stress management in quite a lot and, and that's where people might go for lack of a better word, haywire. Yep. Yeah. So biologically stress is actually a good thing. So the first thing I would encourage folks to do view stress as a positive. It's a biological response to a stimuli that is concerning the body and the mind around, am I going to survive this threat, this interaction? What your body's doing is it's adjusting your hormone levels, increasing cortisol, inc which thus increases your, your heart rate, blood uh, going, uh, dilates pupils, all these physiological impacts to help you survive whatever that is in front of you. So first, and University of Wisconsin did a great study on this, but first is appreciate the stress. Hey, say to your body, hey, thanks for like gearing me up, for like waking me up, for firing me up, having this immediate response. Secondly, realizing that if you stay in that stress-filled state, you're going to be operating more from the limbic system, which in a financial professional's world is not a healthy place because if you're operating in the limbic system, you're less creative, 
you take in less data and you're actually more prone to biases emanating out. And these are a bunch of biases that we can talk about later, but you know, one of them is confirmation bias, another is loss aversion bias. So these are more prevalent in the limbic system. You don't wanna be there long. You wanna move into operating in the neocortex in the midst of that stress. It's just like when we're working with Navy pilots and so forth, we want them to have a fear-based response to initial indicator and then we want them moving into the neocortex. And I, talk, I can talk about how to move into the neocortex, but that's where we want to be as financial professionals. I would love to hear how we move from the limbic to the neocortex. Yeah. So again, first, thanking and being appreciative of that initial response. Then it's important to understand self-talk, which is uh, what we say to ourselves, consciously or unconsciously, self-talk. We, we operate about a thousand words per minute or running through our head from a conscious or unconscious self-talk standpoint. There are certain emotional states that we perform at better cognitively. In other words, certain emotional states where Navy SEALs perform better, when financial advisors perform better, where athletes perform better. Those emotional states, not surprisingly, I think a lot of people are just going to nod their head to this. One is a, a level set of happiness. So not a euphoric happiness, but it's just a general enjoying what you're doing. Second is confidence, feeling as though you have the skills and ability to help this client. And the third is gratitude specifically gratitude being grateful for the skills and abilities you have that have make you made you successful you want to operate in those emotional states and the key to operating there is having self-talk that leads to that emotional state and and i'll give you the the, the quick uh progression then we can talk about the actual tool but self-talk shapes your emotional state self-talk shapes your emotional state your emotional state in turn shapes what part of the brain you're operating in and thus your behavior so to get to those emotional states of happiness, confidence, gratitude, a couple of tools I can share with you. Well, what about, so what do you mean by self-talk I mean, and, and how do I better learn that? Yep. So there's a little tool I developed that helps me, you know, I, I have to keep things pretty simple for my brain. So it, <laughs> I call it triple A, three A's. So it's an acronym. First Assess. A, uh, no, aware. aware. Being Good. aware. Like That's right. Going. Aware, aware, aware. aware exactly aware what are you saying to yourself so you have to tune into what's going on between the ears what am i saying to myself be aware don't judge it don't critique it just be aware second Can I inject something here before you go to the second one so this is a question like me as a father yeah it's i want to say less don't do this don't do that no 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 i don't want to be that but yeah. i find myself in to your point like okay i need to take a step back here i'm trying to be aware of the situation I need to reframe what it is yes. I'm saying and how I'm approaching this to, to my boys to be constructive, but not, you can't do, you know, negative, negative, negative. I'm really working on that and trying to learn to be better at that. Yep. Yeah. So one of the things I'd suggest to you, and this is a feedback tool, that's a whole nother piece, but one of the things I'd suggest is flip the negative into a positive and said, and so I'm the father of two little girls a nine-year-old, a six-year-old. So uh, spilling is a major issue uh, for them and for me. Um, so <laughs> instead of, hey, don't, you know, don't tip over your cup. Hey, um, move your cup to the side of that, the fork there. So when you're reaching for things, you're less likely uh, to tip it over. So give them a positive rather mm -hmm. than the negative around how to behave appropriately. Hey, um, you know, if you if you keep your feet like next to your next to your kind of uh sister and 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 you're not kicking her by keeping your feet there 
you're not going to bother her. And then you're going to be able, she's more likely going to share things with you, which could be amazing, you know, outcome for you. So well think said. about the positives. Absolutely. Okay. So that's being aware. Yep. So being aware of the second is assess. You want to ask yourself two questions around your self-talk, what you're saying to yourself. Two questions. One is what I'm saying to myself accurate is what I am saying to myself accurate. A lot of times we're saying things to ourselves that are just not accurate. I can say things that like I can catastrophize and go into a rabbit hole. I can compare myself with others and be really hard on myself or so forth. So am I what, is what I'm saying to myself accurate? And the second question to ask yourself, is what I'm saying to myself going to lead to the top performing emotions of happiness, confidence, gratitude? Is what I'm saying to myself going to lead to those top performing emotions? So that's the assess phase. Okay. Now, if the answers to both those questions are yes, I'm being accurate and I'm what I'm saying is going to lead to the top performing emotions. Great. You're doing fantastic as a self-talk champion. Keep doing what you're doing because the self-talk, that self-talk is going to lead to a positive uh, emotion of happiness, confidence, gratitude, and ultimately increase the likelihood of a really positive outcome. Mm -hmm. However, if either of those is no, then you got to go to the third step in the AAA, which is adjust. You got to adjust your, your self-talk. And just a quick example that, uh, that I love is Michael Jordan. I think the greatest of all time uh, on the basketball court, Michael Jordan, uh, he missed 26 game winning shots in his NBA career. And he would talk a little bit about what his self-talk was. And one of the things that kind of became evident is he was saying to himself after missing those shots, basically a string of four letter words, like very, very negative uh, self-talk as we can imagine. Basically, whether he was aware of it or not, he basically went through the AAA. He was aware of what he was saying to himself. He assessed it and realized quickly that was not going to get him to the higher performing emotions. And so he adjusted it. And what he adjusted it supposedly was to, hey, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to practice so I don't miss this shot again. I'm going to wake up in the morning and practice so I don't miss this shot again. So that was his adjusted self-talk. And if that was his adjusted self-talk, what emotional state did that lead to? I think mm -hmm. probably confidence was the dominant one for him. And then what action did it lead to? Well, it led to him practicing harder. And a lot of his teammates back in the day would complain that he practiced too hard. It's like, hey, uh, I hear you. And how we practice is how we're going to win championships. And I think it worked out all right for him. So don't beat yourself up when you get frustrated about the client or you have a meeting with a prospect that didn't go well. It's okay to be upset and frustrated and you know, say a couple colorful words to yourself. Just don't stay there long. When you're parenting that child, it's okay for you to get frustrated. Just don't stay there long. Tweak your self-talk, adjust it so that you're operating in the higher performing emotions. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that <clears throat> what I, I guess the hard part there when we're talking through this makes perfect sense, but getting good at it and really working on how to flip the negative mindset and self-talk to a positive way and how do you position that in your own mind and and then how do you articulate that if you're externally expressing that in some capacity? And it's a work in progress. Um, it is. And that's where I'm a big believer of like, we call them battle buddies in the Navy or military. Like have someone that you kind of share this concept with. And it's like, hey, it's something I'm kind of working on. Can I just, you know, dial you up for a lifeline as I'm trying to kind of flip this around a little bit and help me out with this. Like this just happened with the, this prospect that I had a meeting with. Here's what I'm saying to myself coach me on this, help me out. How could I flip the script a little bit here? And, you know, because a lot of times uh, there's a phrase out there that 
if a friend said to me what I say to myself regularly, they wouldn't be my friend for long because we can be so critical of ourselves. So have an outside perspective, significant other, business partner, another advisor, someone on a team that can kind of check you a little bit and give a little bit outside perspective and say, hey, I hear you. You know what? The outcome doesn't sound the greatest on that with that prospect meeting, but you have an amazing tracker. The last three prospects you met with, it's been big wins. So use it. A little honest. Um, find somebody you can have true honesty with and who can give you some tough love in a good way. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about biases and then we can wrap up. You know, there's plenty, I think, but, but let's talk about a few behavioral biases that relate directly to investing and helping clients. Like I think of loss aversion or the herd behavior, right? Everybody's investing in XYZ. So do I. Yep. Uh, it's it's kind of that napkin story that people just get caught up with, right? right. <clears throat> or being overconfident. So can you just talk a little bit about biases and, and how we as advisors can not only I would say diplomatically identify, but also then guide guide our clients correctly. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the biases, like this is one that, that plays out um, in the uh, intelligence world is something called confirmation bias, which is, you know, you have a sense of where you want to head and then you, you, you kind of, as you filter all other information, you use that information, even if it doesn't line up well with that, you know, direction, you kind of, you give it the, the, the kind of benefit of the doubt, say, oh yeah, and this is just another reason why this is making so much sense to me. And one of the issues with that is it can really lead to down a road of, of poor decisions where it snowballs. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, hey, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Client, uh, I, I value as, as an advisor is being the one who's going to challenge some of what we all might think and what we might see you know, from a broader societal perspective. In the military, we call it a red cell, which is someone who's going to challenge the operational planning and poke holes and see what we might not be thinking about. And, you know, it's one of the things I really value with, with friends that are willing to kind of call out where I have a miss or where I'm, I'm making a wrong decision. So as your advisor, I'm going to be that trusted partner that's going to help identify maybe some of those misses that we either of us might be making. And, and that's important. Uh, additionally, one is uh, another, you know, that you mentioned is this loss aversion bias, which is, you know, this idea that uh, after having a loss, we're more hesitant um, to putting, you know, engaging for, for more fully in the marketplace. And the root of that, obviously, is a fear-based root. And it's important mm -hmm. to call out that tendency that we might have in empathetically connecting with a client to say, hey, here's, this is what uh, one of my clients has expressed a concern around this. Here's how they're playing out this bias. And here's some of the concern and downside to that. And here's some ways that we can re-engage and re-attack a little bit more, um, but let's do it incrementally. And so from a, from a fear-based decision point, uh, don't go for the, the all-in all at once, especially when folks are exhibiting some of these key biases. Let's go for the small incremental steps as a proof of concept. Yeah, that's one of those, this is old school. I don't mean to use sales taxes, but it was my old sales training and feel felt found. What you just described yes. is a version uh, uh, really of that, of, of, of explaining to them. I understand the empathy part is understanding how you feel. And, and this is what 
other people have found and and what do we do about that and that that's a great great example you know it's also a funny thing about how just a loss if i go to vegas right and i grab a 500 bucks or a thousand bucks i mean this for me i just don't like gambling because yep. the feeling of losing that money is so much greater to me than maybe the thousand dollars that i might win i just not interested i'd rather do something significantly different and more meaningful with my time and my money whether that be dinner or a show or what have you and it's not it, that's behavior right so it doesn't it doesn't it shouldn't tran it should not be any different in how i go about and the behaviors that i need to be thinking about as it relates to investing yeah absolutely and that's the the power of the limbic to keep you alive to make the pain so strong that you remember it next time there's an opportunity or the same circumstance presents itself use that as an advantage for the client and seek the pain what are some of the challenges you've had with advisors in the past, Mrs. Flynn? What are some of the things that have been painful or difficult or some of the times you were let down? Um, love to just understand that more so that we can talk through uh, my approach. That's where you're going to get wins. And, you know, let's flip the coin upside down because conversely, I'm going to have those clients who do love to gamble. They are the risk takers. And how do I yep. get them to scale back to, there's elements in your life that that are very appropriate for that and but maybe maybe it's not here or maybe we should be deploying this strategy with these resources or with this long-term play it really comes down to listening and really really understanding the client and and then behaviorally how to move the needle um, in said direction right it's saying to that type of client Hey, Mrs. Client, uh, you know, I, I love your your interest and in, in willingness to try new things and to be, you know, an early adopter. Um, you know, and, and from my view, it's like you see life as, as this amazing opportunity and adventure and, and willingness to really engage deeply. And so as your advisor, I want to continue to fuel that and support that um, mission and that kind of approach in life and in retirement. And so in, in doing that, one of the ways I think we can do that, I think we can continue to engage and be an early adopter in some of these areas and investment vehicles. And I also want to make sure that we're having that long-term sustaining growth and, and you know, income over time that you need to make sure that your lifestyle uh, is going to be appropriately funded. And so if we can strike a little bit of a balance to both those, uh, if you're open to that, I think that's really where we're going to be, we're going to have the greatest success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I really, really appreciate your time. I think this was, was certainly enlightening, hopefully also as well to our audience. There's a lot to be learned in this capacity and in this space. I mean, you're seeing more, I'll tell you, I think about four years ago, I searched for a bunch of books on the topic of behavioral finance. And I don't know if you'd confirm with this, but it wasn't easy to find content. Yeah. Uh, yep. And now you're starting to see more and more uh, content about really just understanding the behaviors as it relates to investing in finance. Um, and that's very, very helpful, but there's so much to learn in that regard. Also, I would say, yes, a lot of our conversation today was about advisors and working directly with their clients, but it's also helping advisors make decisions in their own life and in their own practice um, and how they manage stress. And Maybe one last thing we can touch on is helping advisors recognize within their practice 
really triggers to avoid, you know, unhealthy communication amongst the team. You know, the ecosystem within our in our small environment or whatever the size of that environment is, is critically important. And I think many advisors are so type A, working 110 miles an hour, you know, time is so scarce for them. They're wearing a bunch of hats. I'm trying to build yep. my business, interface with clients, deal with compliance. I mean, I've got so many things going on. Um, and, uh, you know, the toxicity of a bad environment within the firm could be the end of my practice. So how, how do we, yep. and I think communication is key in that capacity. And we want to make sure that we start with maintaining healthy communication. So what are some things that we can kind of close upon that help that? And I said yep. a bunch. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I agree. I mean, this is communication. I was just working with a, a top financial advisory team out in California and the communication was the major challenge. Here's what I su would suggest is do a personality style profile. There's great ones out there. Myers-Briggs, DISC. We have our own one. I'm on LinkedIn, Ben Sorensen. You can message me. Happy to share it with you and talk through how you can use it with your team. But understand what is the dominant personality style of everyone in the office? and understand how can you negatively per be perceived by others who are different than you. The negative perceptions are major trust breakers that a lot of times mm -hmm. we're not aware of because it's what we've been doing all along. It's led to success and so forth, but it can really have some negative implications. But you gotta be self-aware first, and we have a tool that can quickly help you identify that. And then how can you be adaptive in your approach to different people on the team to not just say, okay, you know, Scott's a little different than me or Judy's a little bit different, isn't that nice? But say, no, no, Judy's different than me. How can I leverage her natural skills, her natural superpower strengths, her communication style? How can I communicate in a way that's gonna make the most sense to her and vice versa? And let's kind of engage in that from a team perspective. The other piece, Scott, I just wanna to add to my suggestion to financial professionals out there is be more than just a financial professional to your clients. Like, think holistically. In other words, um, for me, you know, if I'm going to enjoy retirement, I've got to actually have some degree of health to enjoy it, physical health. Mm -hmm. So Amen. as an advisor, talk to me about, hey, there's some great executive health programs where you can go into, you know, a great hospital system, get poked and prodded regionally, um, you know, nearby where you live, you know, for half a day. And it really helps you evaluate anything you might be missing. So we make sure you're going to be around for retirement and you're going to really enjoy it. So offer that, offer components around how can they grow their business? Like, do you know people that could help coach them with their small business that they're running or some resource for them? Be more than a financial advisor. I'm finding that advisors that are able to take that broader approach mm -hmm. really can add a lot of value. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic insight. It, it is becoming more than just the commodity, if you will, and I don't mean to dumb it down to that nature, but it, but it's it's more than equities and fixed incomes and just managing the portfolio. But I would say be true to who you are and be true to who your client is. You don't have to be everything to everybody, right? Yep. Uh, but add add more value. How are you going to enhance the lives of the clients that you serve in a bigger capacity than just growing their pocketbook? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Very well said. Well, I really, really appreciate your time. How if if our advisors. Uh, who are listening, want to engage with with our good friend here, Ben Sorensen. How do they do that? Yeah, thanks. You can. I'm on LinkedIn, Ben Sorensen, Twitter, Ben Sorensen, um, and my cell phone, 954-802-3311, 954-802-331. Feel free to uh, text or call anytime, Scott. You are a gentleman. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Optimize Advisor podcast. Till next time. Sounds good. Have a good one. Cheers. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please subscribe, like, share, leave a comment or review. Be sure to check us out on social media at Optimized Advisor Podcast. Till next time.